to 1 Timothy uh, chapter chapter 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and obviously we've been in this book for a while. We're going at a much quicker pace than Sam's getting uh, one verse done uh, a, a week. Uh, if you can go ahead and advance it, uh, you know, as we just as we look at this guide to spiritual maturity, and that's really the overarching uh, premise is that it needs to be a guide uh, right here, Paul. Um, a guide, this is a guide to, to an end. There's an end point in the lesson. There's an end point in the book, and it is spiritual maturity, okay? So Paul is calling Timothy to spiritual maturity. He's asking him to set things right in the church. He's asking him to get things squared away in the church in Ephesus. But the end goal is spiritual maturity. The end goal is having a walk with Christ that is worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. It's uh, mature, it's seasoned, it's experienced, it's strong, it's um, able to withstand attack. There's a lot to a spiritual maturity. So we really need to look at the lesson today within that lens, within that. So, I mean, all of the structure, all of the lessons that we'll, that we'll do as we go through First Timothy are under that umbrella. Some of them are a little more practical. Some of them are a little more conceptual. And um, but but it's interesting because as you, if you go ahead and advance, Brandon, uh, if if you look at the scripture, First Timothy one eight through eleven. But we know that the law is good if a man use it. Uh, this is not the right uh, PowerPoint. So <laughs> this was no no it no it. No, yeah, that's not that's last week. So I was like, that seems really familiar. You're on verse 12. Yeah, I'm on verse. So you should you should have it up in front of you. I just put it up there for convenience. So verse 12, uh, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to a life everlasting. Now... To, unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Uh, forever and ever, excuse me. Amen. So so as I was looking at this, and, and what I was sharing with Michelle was, I, it was a little, honestly, I kind of, when I read scripture, especially when I'm preparing, it seemed like a lot of words kind of say in the same thing. And it was kind of, it struck me as a little odd that Paul is talking so much about himself with respect to his instruction to Timothy. Okay. And so what I had to do is I had to break it down. I had to break it down, not like 
break it down, but I had to break it down because <laughs> me breaking it down would be awkward. Um, I had to break it down into the storyline. So, for instance, and I'm, I'm just we're just going to look at, at verse 12 and 13. I think for a second, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. If you just look at that sentence, those things are out of order. So he enabled him and then put him into the ministry, but he, before he enabled him, he counted him faithful, right? So he counted him faithful, then he enabled him, then he put him into the ministry. Are you tracking, tracking just that sentence? Okay, this whole passage is kind of wonky like that. And I say wonky from our Western mindset. So the Jews in particular have a different, we're, in the West, we're very linear, like I just did. We're this, 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 or for you, it's this, 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 right? It's that direction, left to right, top to bottom, right? But other cultures, it's not that way, right? It could be top to bottom, left to right. Or it could be, in, in, in the Jewish culture, it's actually a very circular so type reasoning. And I don't mean that like we, when we think of circular reasoning, we think that doesn't make sense. But a circular reasoning, if you, if you think of a spiral, right, when, when it completes a cycle, you're back to the same thought. And then the cycle will continue and you're back to the same thought. That's really what happens a lot in Psalms and in the, in the poetry books. We see these things. And Paul was approaching this, this very much, Timothy, the Jewish side. It's not terribly linear. So what I did, and, and this is the sneaky part of what I did, is if you'll turn your page over, and, and if you could advance the slide, I took all of these phrases and I put them in two linear paths so that our Western mind could wrap around it. So this top one is the first few verses. It's really uh, through uh, through uh, verse four, uh, 14, I think. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. But who was, so, so notice this is the way the phrases work in time. Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. And then the grace of the Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And he obtained mercy because he did it, those things, ignorantly. Then Christ counted him faithful, enabled him, put him in the ministry, and as a result, I thank the Lord, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, okay? Do we see the linear progression of time in, in Paul's life? He does it again, so there is that circle, so we're back to the same point. We're going to go through that same cycle again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. For this cause, I was a sinner, I obtained mercy, that in me first, Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering. I'm going to be saved so I can, like if you get on a plane, you're supposed to put the oxygen on yourself first, then on your kid. Because if you put it on your kid first, you might pass out. So Paul had to have it before he could give it. It became a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him. And then as a result, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So this cycle, or what we see is very linear progression, very, this is what happened in Paul's life, this is what happened in Paul's life, but he does it through two lenses, okay? Does that make sense? We're going to break this down, not waka waka, break it down, <laughs> we're going to break it down further, again, okay? 
and we're going to look at these. And what's going to happen is we're going to take them in chunks. So Brandon, if you could advance the slide. We're going to take these two concepts, these parallel concepts. Who was before a blasphemer? Um, right? So that's uh, verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious? Right? And then Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So it's verse 13 and the second half of verse 15. Are you still with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. So now if you advance again. So what we were before Christ came into our life. So as a saved individual, this is what we were. Okay. And if you're not saved, I would argue this is what you are. I mean, Sam talked about it this morning, the spirit of Antichrist that comes out of folks, they don't realize it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's just what it is. So Paul was a blasphemer. He, he said it, he was himself. I mean, we can take him at his word, but we can also see it in, in testimony of his life. Paul, in Acts 26, verse 9 and verse 11, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul, in his own testimony later in his life, these are his words. He said, I did, them to, I did many things contrary to the name of Jesus, and I punished believers often in every synagogue, and look at this, compelled them to blaspheme. He actually was such a blasphemer himself that he would force people to recant their faith. He would force them to say things like, Jesus was not the Son of God. Jesus cannot save. He was also a persecutor in, uh, in, uh, uh, of his own words, again, in Galatians 1.13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I mean, what a heavy burden that he must carry. He wasted the church. He literally did damage to God's plan of, uh, to the early church. Now, God obviously could still use it, but he did damage to it. He wasted it. In Philippians 3, 6, um, concerning zeal, pers persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. When he's talking about his own history, his own past before Christ, he was, he was zealous in persecuting the church. He woke up in the morning and thought, how can I persecute the church today? How can I nip this thing in the bud before it gets out of hand? That was literally his thought process. He was a persecutor. He was also injurious, uh, again, in his own testimony in Acts 26. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Good riddance off with their head, stone them, whatever, you know, probably stone them. That was, a, that was the thing the Jews were doing, right? So he was giving his voice against them. He was injurious. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I would <coughs> submit to you that we are the same thing, that we literally are. Now, I have not, I don't think I've 
outright blasphemed the Lord. Like, I don't know that I've, like, what we traditionally think of blaspheme, and I don't think I have, like, kicked anybody that came to church. I didn't, like, walk around and, like, kick people in the shins. for I, I have not persecuted any believer, and I have not necessarily been injurious to them. I have not tried to stop, like, when I was not saved, I didn't, like, pick it. I didn't throw stones. I didn't, like, I wasn't injurious. But but the premise is still the same. It's the spirit that that comes from these things, or the spirit that produces these things, rather, is that spirit of Antichrist. It is the flesh, okay? And I did mock believers. I did, there were people in my high school and that like that I mocked for their faith. And I, I still feel bad about it. And I have apologized. I believe I've apologized to all of them. Uh, certainly, if the Lord has allowed me to come either to remember or to come back and, 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 and pass with them. But look, look at, look at us. According to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Obedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and maybe maybe blasphemy isn't your specific thing, but one of those other things on your on the list probably is, right? Or maybe it's Second Peter two twelve. The but these as natural brute beasts, these things that come out of natural, the natural state of man, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. That's this unsaved man. The unsaved man is going to challenge spiritual. I was listening. I was parking the car and uh, this morning, and I can't remember. I meant to actually jot it down, but just got got to walking in, and it was like, you know, I didn't understand the Lord before I came to the Lord. Was the basic premise of the song like it didn't make sense to me how somebody could put their faith in somebody who so many years ago died on a cross that they were punished and yeah, they maybe shouldn't have been punished, but I don't understand how that, like, of course it's not going to make sense. It's, it's not understood with the mind. It's understood with the heart and, and with the spirit. And we, we were persecutors. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That is the definition of a lost person. Again, maybe persecution isn't their tool of choice in their sinning, but it's the same spirit the same nature. Rome, and injurious, Romans 1, uh, 30 and 31, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful or full of despising, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, literally lying, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Like this is the nature of the lost man, the lost woman. And it, it, it exposes itself to varying degrees. There are some people that are really good lost people. They're really good. Like you can't tell they're lost because they don't, they don't outwardly show these things. But put in the right circumstances, oof. What do you get when you squeeze a lemon? Whatever's inside. And if the lemon is rotten, you'll get rotten lemon juice. It may look fine on the outside, but when you squeeze it, you get what's inside, right? 
And when a person is not in Christ, what you will get when you squeeze them is anti-Christ. Okay? So Paul was like this, right? We were like this. So on your page, if you go to the next slide, Brandon, on your next page or on the on the next slide, you'll have three things. What were you before Christ? And this is the part where you need to write the things that you were before Christ. I'll tell you what are on mine. I was conceited and extremely self-centered. The world revolved around me. But that's the nature of a lost person. They're living out their existence in themselves. So I was conceited. I was also materialistic. Boy, I wanted it and I wanted it all. And I was lustful. Of course, I was a teenage boy. That didn't help. But I was lustful. The things that had been put in front of me caused me to, to desire that more and more. Those, those were the things, those are the three things. Maybe blasphemy, injurious, and persecutor wasn't my three, but these were. So you have in front of you three things, or and if you don't get them down now, that's fine, but think about it because they were what defined you before Christ. And if some of you, I mean, you probably got saved at a pretty young age and think, well, you know, I was, you know, but, but maybe you were a brat and and, and just, but that's self-centered, right? Maybe you were, you were a liar as a kid, right? I mean, kids, boy, you don't have to teach them to lie, right? There's all sorts of different things that even kids can, you know, be defined by their unsavedness, Right? So I want you to imagine for a moment as you're wrapping that, that up, Paul getting done with a message, right? So he goes to some town and he shares the gospel and he's telling folks that he's going to be meeting at the, at the, you know, in the park or whatever. They're going to gather and, he, and he's speaking and the, and the Christians come out and they hear him and they're really glad they're that when they're when he's done they they come up and they're thanking him the the younger you know men and women are are excited about their new life in Christ and they're shaking his hand and and giving him a hug or kissing him and an older gentleman walks up meekly and and greets hand, uh, Paul with a handshake and maybe a kiss because it's very uh, european very middle eastern and Paul asks his asks him his name and he tells him and the man, with tears in his eyes, looks Paul square in the face and says, you killed my brother. Or maybe my mother died in prison because you, you committed her to prison. Paul was never allowed to forget the things he did before Christ. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was injurious. But what did it do to Paul's testimony? What did it do to Paul's ministry? It propelled him. It didn't immobilize him. And there is a whole swath of Christianity out there today that wants you to remember what you were. That wants you to go back and relive all the crud and crap and stuff from your past and dredge it all back up again. And I'm here to tell you it's bunk. Paul had that in spades compared to you and me. In spades. He literally killed Christians for their faith. <laughs> you didn't do that. 
I'm pretty sure nobody in this room did that. I'm pretty sure nobody ever listening to this recording will have the testimony against the church that Paul did. I mean, that's just amazing to me. And Paul chose to use it to leverage his spiritual growth. Like, I don't care about yesterday. Paul says, I did these things, but, but. And so that brings us to our next, to our next slide. If you could, it's our, our, our discipleship, our first discipleship decision for today. Don't forget what you were, but don't dwell on it either. Like if somebody wants you to re go back and, and pull up some injury, some, some psychological damage in your, you know, when you were seven, just, I'm telling you, I don't think it's wise. I mean, I, there were things in my childhood that I can still close my eyes as I stand before you now, I can close my eyes and I could, I could, I can picture them. I can relive them, but I choose not to. I choose not to because that's not who I am. Who I am is a new creature in Christ, right? So if you, if you advance to the next slide, so that, that was our first box before a blasphemer, persecutor, and injurious. And then Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, right? Same concept. Now let's look at these four, these four phrases in the next concept. And the, gra- oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. For this cause I obtained mercy. So we see the parallel of mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. Now, if you could advance. So those concepts are faith, love, grace, mercy, and longsuffering. I believe you have those on your on your page, right? Yes? Yeah. So we're going to look at these verses for each of them. Faith, love, grace, mercy, and long-suffering. I didn't put a, put a, uh, a line, but I'm going to give you a little tagline or a little uh, concept with each of these. So faith is the confidence in the future, okay? Now this is the faith of Christ, not our faith. Our faith can waver. This was when you specifically look at the language, he says the grace of our, in verse four, 14 of our passage, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So the grace of our Lord was abundant with faith and love from Christ to us. Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified, or I am crucified with Christ. Never the, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not the faith in the Son of God. Faith of. His faith in me. He invests in me. This is what Christ extended to Paul or us. This is literally coming from the, from the bowels of heaven, pouring out of Christ's belly into our life, is faith. He has faith in us. Philippians 3.9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Right? So literally, it is the faith that we can have the confidence in the future because the faith comes from Christ. He also extended love. He extended love. 
We can have confidence in the relationship because that's what love does, right? That's what love does. Love extends the, it extends the confidence in the relationship. I love my wife. I know she loves me. I have confidence in the relationship. When that love starts to wane through choice, whatever, inaction, whatever the situation is, now the confidence in the relationship begins to waver. So I can have confidence in the future because of his faith in us. I can have confidence in the relationship because of his love for us. Look at Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nothing, right? If we continued on in the passage, nothing could separate us. 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. But the love of Christ constrains us. His, literally, his love toward us should be a momentum builder. They'll talk about that today in the Super Bowl, inevitably, at some point. Football is definitely a game of momentum. I think soccer or international football is also a game of momentum. Not as much. Baseball and and some of those other sports, I don't think they have the momentum, the tangible momentum that you feel at the very least in American football. And it can change just like that. Momentum can change just like that. The bounce of a ball, the tip of a of a pass or whatever, I'm sure they'll mention it. But that momentum is literally what it builds on itself or it can build on itself. And that's the situation here. The love of Christ should constrain us, should propel us, should cause us momentum in our relationship. Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, literally, the love of Christ gives you fullness. What else do you want? I mean, it literally is enough. It fills you up. So we've seen faith, we can have confidence in the future. Love, we can have confidence in the relationship. Brandon, if you could advance the slide. Grace, we have confidence in a new beginning. We have confidence in a new beginning. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Timothy 1.14, the grace of our God was exceeding abundant with faith. There it is again. And love, again, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the great, or which is in Christ Jesus, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith, right? In our passage, abundant with faith. Mercy, mercy. This is, we can have confidence in the forgiveness. So grace is the, you know, I've heard it said, grace is the extending of something that's undeserved. You get something, a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve, like hell. So heaven is grace. Hell is mercy. The avoidance of hell, right, is mercy. So you don't get something you should have gotten. And that's really where the forgiveness comes in. Right? That's really where the... So we can have confidence in the forgiveness. Luke 18, 38. And he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know if you if you remember the... Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk about the, the lepers in just a minute. I'm going to jump ahead of myself. But, but 
we can have this this mercy, you know, from the Lord. We want mercy from him because we don't want to to go to hell. We don't want to to live in our sin. Look at Jude one twenty one or Jude twenty one, verse twenty one. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto uh, unto eternal life. So these concepts are very intertwined. I could have drawn a maybe a, a circle like a, a, a hub, you know, hub and spokes, where all these different concepts are are, are really describing the same thing. Or maybe it's a you know a diamond you know where you're seeing different facets of the diamond, but you're still seeing the diamond, or like the fruit of uh, the spirit that we see in in Galatians, right? Um, that it's the fruit, it's one thing, but you see different aspects. And this what Christ extended to Paul and ultimately to us is long suffering, right? We saw it specifically in verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering and as we see it in second Peter chapter 3 19 and, and 15 the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance literally Sam Brandon do you mind turning the heat like off or something it's blowing on me are you guys okay he was okay. Um, the, and so Sam even quoted this right this morning. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. And one of the ways He does it is He is extremely long suffering. I mean, He gives you. And I don't look. I don't know. I don't think there's some doctrinal magic number of how many chances you get. Some people take that position that you get so many chances. And I've, I've been under teaching in, in my past where they're like, well, after three, I mean, after three chances, you, you know, you're on your own. It's like, okay. This says the Lord is long-suffering. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Look at verse 15. An account. So we account to the Lord. We credit the Lord that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. There is an aspect of our salvation that is tied to his long suffering, even as our beloved Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you. So Peter is referencing literally Paul's um, concepts of the Lord having long suffering. So we see the, we saw the, we saw the faith we can have confidence in the future. Love, we can have confidence in the relationship. Grace, we can have confidence in this new beginning. Mercy, we can have confidence in the forgiveness. But long-suffering, we can have confidence in the person. We can have confidence in the person. Because by his sheer nature of being good, he's long-suffering. And this is, you know, I try to be extremely transparent with you all. I try to be very honest because I feel like there's no point not to be. Like the minute that I start putting up a little bit of a a facade in one area of my life, then where's that stop? Like that's, that's not a good pattern, right? For anybody that teaches at any point in time. I, you know, I'm, I don't have it down perfect. I'm growing in these areas too, but 
it's really important for me to be transparent. And one of the ways that I tend to fail, I don't think I'm soon angry, right? Uh, as 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 we see a requirement for pastors or or, or elders or, or um, uh, bishops that they not be soon angry. Like I don't usually get angry on the first thing, but I get angry if something goes a while and it's not dealt with, and then I'll blow up. And it may seem like I'm soon angry. But I'm, there's actually six things that brought me to that point, right? And and long-suffering is an area I need to work on. Again, this is what Christ extended to Paul or to us, but I need to be working on my long-suffering because what I tend to do is I internalize whatever it is. This person on the road has already done three things that annoy the heck out of me, and the fourth is the one where I blow it, Right? Or my kids have already done not, they haven't done six things that I've asked them to do. So on the seventh is when I finally lose my cool, right? And I'm not justifying it, not at all justifying it, because I usually don't do it on the first one. But what I need to do, and this is where Christ absolutely shines, because in the midst of long suffering, he continues to teach. He continues to compel. He continues to offer grace, mercy, love and faith like if you just have long suffering alone which is what I'm trying to describe I tend to do from time to time I don't think this is a big problem for me but it's a problem and I've been trying to work on it is long suffering without the other four just produce a delayed response <laughs> for me is, are, are you guys, I some of you at least are, are tracking right because if I'm patient I'm patient I'm patient I'm patient stop doing it Right? Okay. But what I need to do is, well, you didn't do it the first time. If you keep that up, there's going to be consequences. Okay. Now, I don't think you were listening to me. I said, if you do that again, there's going to be, or, or whatever, right? You need to feed the dog, whatever, whatever it is, right? Because what I tend to do is internalize it until I blow up. But Christ doesn't do that. He isn't just waiting. Long suffering is not just waiting. He's literally being patient with us. He's, he's, he's working with us. He's growing with us. That's a concept of long-suffering. And so when I was looking at all of this, so I think if you, if, if you advance the slide, I think we got our next uh, decision, discipleship decision. Christ has given you enough to cover your sins, right? The stuff we looked at, but also prepare you for the ministry because he gave you long-suffering, mercy, grace, love, and faith. He like we even saw out of the gate the first few verses of First Timothy, right? The uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He he already talked about the sufficiency that we have to be able to minister, right? So why is he doing all of this again? Does Paul have a um, does Paul have an ego complex here where he needs to just keep talking about himself where it's just like, you know, and I was, I was a bad guy. And I mean, do you not think Timothy knows this? Timothy has spent weeks and months and hours on end in a given day traveling with Paul. Do you not think he knows that Paul used to kill Christians and Paul used to go in and... So why is he? Why is this important for Paul to get this in a book to send Timothy to the mission, to the ministry, to the quote mission field? 
it's because he's trying to show Timothy he has everything he needs to minister. He has everything he needs to minister. The stuff that was a problem in Timothy's life that was in the past can go away. You have literally the sins have been dealt with and you have enough for ministry. There is this is not a profound statement. It may come across profound, but there is literally nothing holding you back from being a minister. Nothing except you. Nothing's holding you back from being, or I would say, a better minister if you're already doing it. If you're already doing aspects, there's literally nothing holding you back. It's not your sin, and it's not the sufficiency from the Lord. It's just your choice of being a better minister. And he gave you this ministry for a purpose. So if you go to the next phase, so we get to our next block. He counted me faithful. He enabled me, putting me in the ministry. And why? I would argue a pattern to show them uh, a pattern to them, which should hereafter believe to the people he's teaching, right? We take that discipleship mentality. I'm going to teach one for the purpose of someday being able to teach someone else. So he just is saying, he's not saying I'm the man. He's saying God's invested in me so that I can invest in you and that you can invest in others. It's a pattern. This is not some conceited, self-absorbed statement by Paul. Paul just got done saying, look, I used to kill believers. And if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God, the long suffering, the love, the faith of Jesus, I would just be continuing to be a bad dude. This is about preparing you for ministry. And so he gave you a ministry for a purpose. If Brandon, if you could advance again. He gave you a ministry for a purpose. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 says, who, and, and we talked a little bit about this. We touched on some of these verses before when we talked about the gospel and Paul owning, not it being his, but kind of owning the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who, hath, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, excuse me, we faint not. First, Tim, First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. We did look at that before. And then Colossians 1.25, wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given, look at this, to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So this is, this is all of these verses are literally the application of Paul getting something and passing it on. Some have realized it and some haven't. That's, that's okay. They haven't, you haven't, maybe you haven't realized your ministry yet. Maybe it's something as simple, and I don't mean that in a bad way, as connections. That was clearly the place Martha needed to get involved. And that is, look, there are opportunities galore in this church. At literally every stage of spiritual maturity where you can minister. You have a ministry. He hath made us able ministers. And Paul is not just talking about him. And I mean, he didn't write First or Second Corinthians to Timothy. He's not just talking about him and Timothy he, or his team. He's talking about the collective church. He's made us ministers. So in Second Corinthians 4.1, seeing we have this ministry. 
according to the glorious gospel of the gospel of God, which was committed to my trust. But guess what? The gospel is also in your trust. Like, just because Paul had it doesn't mean you. You don't. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. Look at that. To fulfill the word of God, so it clearly applies to all of us. All of these verses not only apply to Paul and the situation, they apply to us. So you have a ministry waiting for you. So this brings us to our next discipleship decision. Are you making full proof of your ministry? Uh, also known as, or another way of saying it, are you fully persuaded of your ministry? Are you making full proof? Are you in? Are you bought in? I would argue if you're not bought in, you can't make full proof of your ministry. You can't do what the Lord, like literally he saved you, he's equipped you, he's prepared you, and now you're not doing it. Like that, that sounds bad when you put it that way. Like that sounds like kind of ungrateful. Like it's like he saved you so that you could just be you. I'm not suggesting you change, but he saved you so that you could minister to others. So this brings us to our next point. What, 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 he, what he deserves in return, right? This last box. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory uh, forever and ever. Amen. I, I meant for you to, okay, so some of you are circling that on the back. I, the reason I did that was so that you could box these together. But so, so where he came from, how he was saved, how he was equipped for ministry, and what, the, what goes back to the Lord. So go ahead to the next slide there, Brandon. He deserves three things. Thanks, according to that, those passages, thanks, honor, and glory. And again, we won't spend a lot of time here, but thanks be to God, which give us us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now thanks be unto God, which causes us to triumph in Christ. And in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So literally, you're kind of told to do this. It reminded me of of the leper passage that I was referring to before in Luke 17, uh, verses, just listen to this. You can turn certainly turn there if you want. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, there were, not, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? They are, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Rise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And it's interesting because he was already healed and cleansed. So what's Jesus doing? Putting a cherry on top of this dessert? No. He's saying before, those people were a picture of the saved believer. 
They weren't going to go to 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 in, in eternity in hell. They were saved. But the one that turned back and said thanks, he was made whole. He had a ministry. He received other things from the Lord. And he was then able to minister to others. And let me just tell you, there is nothing better on the face of this earth than ministering to others. It's gotten me out of funk many a time. So nine, well, ten were healed. One was whole. And the difference was thanks. And honor, Revelation 4, 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You better get used to it. According to this passage in Revelation 4, verse 8, uh, actually in Isaiah 6, uh, 6, 3, the created beings are crying incessantly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You better get used to the words. And glory, this is the, this is the innate part of being. This is about you giving him glory. Hebrews 13, 21, working in you that which is well-pleasing in, in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The, what literally pleases the Lord, and I'll be honest, I don't have my, my finite brain wrapped around the, glory, the, the reason the Lord wants glory because on earth, we think that's very self-centered. We see that that's very like self-righteous. But his, that's how good he is. That's how pure he is. That's how right he is, is that he deserves thanks, honor, and glory. So it brings us to our last discipleship decision. Will you commit not to keep or, or take or keep thanks, honor, or glory that is due his name? If you want to mature as a, as a, I mean, and Sam, I, I mean, I love that the Lord did this. He was talking about it when he was talking about the worship leaders, right? Getting attention, right? That's, that's them doing this in the wrong way. They start keeping things that they don't deserve, right? That glory needs to go to him. That thanks, that honor, all the praise needs to go to him. When some, the worst thing somebody can tell me, and this is going to sound really weird, the worst thing somebody can tell me after I preach is, good job. Mm-hmm. Well, then I didn't do it right. That's literally the worst thing. The best thing somebody can say is, God showed me eh, through your message. Like then, that's awesome. Because then I was just a conduit of his honor, his glory, his instruction. And I do think we need to be careful in Midtown because we are a people that really focus on the word and we want to invest the word of God in people. And so we'll say things like, this dude can really teach or this guy's got it going on. Guess what? That's not true. (laughs) That guy can't teach. That guy doesn't have it going on. She's not that great of a minister outside the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just the way it is. So again, Paul wasn't saying all this to Timothy to boast about his history. He wasn't saying this to say, look how far I've come, Timothy. He's literally equipping Timothy because Timothy, I would argue, is at this kind of critical tipping point in his maturation process. He's come through some stuff. He's learned some things. He's got some spiritual victories under his belt. And he can go one of two directions. He can start thinking, you know what? I am the man. They do like my teaching. And I don't know where this came from, but the like, what's that even mean? Are you wiping off a metal or something? I don't even know what that's from. Like, like 
that pride, that arrogance, that literally everything, you were delivered out of sin, you were given the tools, you were given everything that you need to do it, and now you're going to keep some of that for yourself? Like, even a little bit? Like, before I was saved, I was so conceited and so focused, self-centered, and so focused on me that, like... To, to try to do that now, I, I, and I still battle with it because I'm flesh, and it's just my battles. But investing in other people will never steer you wrong. And that's where Paul's trying to get Timothy. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for even some of these verses that I think sometimes people brush over uh, when they do a study. And... I, you know, it, there's depth here, Lord, and I thank you. I, I pray that you were able to communicate what you taught me, that, that these were two cycles of very important steps that happened in Paul's life and that he's reminding his disciple. He's reminding his disciple where the power comes from. Lord, help us as we move forward in our ministry, as we take the next step, whatever that is in our walk with you, that you would help us to remember that all of it is from you and to you. Lord, we thank you for we thank you for the grace and the mercy that saves us. We thank you for uh, allowing us to have faith and, and allow putting us in the ministry. But Lord, uh, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, that doesn't understand, they're still they're still living in their sin, that they're still injurious and a a persecutor and blasphemous that they're doing wrong against you and or against the church and maybe we're maybe we're quiet maybe we're courteous but lord uh, if there's folks that are not saved i just pray that you convict them of sin of righteousness and of judgment help them understand that they need a savior to apply their the blood to their sin and lord um, i just ask that you you just compel them to move to help get that resolved before even they they uh, pillow their head tonight lord help us in any way that we can be able ministers in that situation but but more importantly help us to always give you the honor and glory uh, that is due your name in jesus name amen